Hey, y'all. From NPR, it's been a minute. I'm Sam Sanders. Today, a conversation about a new show on Stars. It's called Vida. So Vida centers around these two Latinx women characters. They're brought back to their old Los Angeles neighborhood in East L.A. after their mother dies. And they are forced to deal with all these old wounds. Emma, I saw her in May, and she didn't look sick. She looked fine. She was... Hold up. Did you know? What? That she was sick? No. I, I was as surprised as you were, I swear to God. You apparently knew that she had a random roommate. Well, that's because I actually talked to mommy. Talked to mommy. Please, you calling me Dalia anytime you're short on rent isn't exactly talking, is it? What's wrong with you? Our mother is dead. Those voices belong to Melissa Barrera and Michelle Prada. And they play these two sisters, Lynn and Emma, respectively. This show, I mean it, it has it all. Family drama, racism, fluid sexuality, Spanglish, gentrification, or as they call it, hentification. We'll tell you all about that in a bit. Uh, And we also talk about a question they have asked themselves. Are they gentrifiers in the communities that they've settled in? A heads up to parents for this episode. If you normally listen to the show with your kids, Vita covers issues about sexuality and sex, and our conversation does as well. We get into a fair amount of that. All right, Melissa, Michelle, and I were together at NPR West because we all live in Los Angeles. Uh, One more note. Please forgive my horrible Spanglish. I am trying to get better. All right, enjoy. We should have both of you ID yourselves for our listeners so they can tell you apart. Uh, I'm Melissa Barrera, and I play Lynn. And I'm Michelle Prada, and I play Emma. You guys beat me here by like 25, 30 minutes. I'm sorry for keeping you waiting. We were early. You we were, were early. early. Yeah. But the good thing was that we like got here at exactly the same time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So So where'd you guys come from? Uh, I'm in Studio City. Oh, nice. And I'm in Echo Park. Okay, cool, cool, cool. Yeah, how cool. about you? Where are you? I live downtown. Oh, okay. And see. it's crazy because I was watching the show thinking the whole time about how I'm gentrifying downtown. Yeah. You know, like I live... A block over from the L.A. Flower Market, two blocks from Skid Row. Yeah, that's right there. Yeah, and, like, all these coffee shops are coming in, and my building's this old building that now has these redone lofts, and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'm doing it too. Yeah. And your show deals so much with that, and I love how it's very specific to L.A. and how that's happening. Yeah, it's it's very important to shed light on what is the current situation of the community yeah. because you don't see that. When yeah. when people see East L.A. in movies or in TV shows, it's usually just like, oh, it's like a dangerous like part of town and like yeah. it's criminals. And uh-huh. But you never, you don't get to see like the beautiful part of it and the magical part of it yeah. and the community and the struggle that yeah. they're facing. And it, and it is specific to L.A., but it's happening everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And there are... The truth of it is, is a lot of times stereotypes are there for a reason. There are drugs and gangs and, you know, guns and stuff like that. But most days there aren't. Most days there's a community and families and people just sharing food, eating flan, Uh uh, just trying to get by, experiencing hope and love and joy and pain the same way that all of us are. Um, So that's something that is just so incredible to get to see. And Meli always calls it a love letter to L.A. There's something really beautiful because we're getting to show these neighborhoods in just a really beautiful way with the chaos and the you know, it's not always the streets aren't always clean or anything, but yeah. there's something really beautiful and very connected about that. Totally, totally. I want to describe the show 
but it would take me paragraphs because I have so much to say about it. <laughs> Describe this show uh, for our listeners in 30 seconds, either or both of you. Okay. Well, I feel like you're really good at it. Okay. Well, um, <laughs> Vida is uh, a story about the community in East L.A., mm-hmm. but it's it revolves around these two sisters that we play that have escaped from the neighborhood that they grew up in mm-hmm. and they have to come back because their mother dies and they have to bury her and deal with the inheritance. But they come home to discover a huge secret that she was hiding, that she was actually married to a woman. Mm-hmm. And that unravels a series of uh, confrontation between them because they don't get along. And they start, you start like seeing what these women are hiding. And, yeah. Yeah. and Emma, the older of the sisters, is actually queer. So it, it's a huge, like, um, um, just a battle you know, because she, yeah. Emma was sent away when she was younger for kissing another little girl. And, of course, when she comes back and has to face the fact that her mom, who's a very traditional Mexican mother, has been married to a woman for yeah. the last few years. And then on top of it, they have to share their inheritance with this person, the one thing that their mother left them. Yeah. And it just, yeah. it crumbles them and, and leaves behind then not really an inheritance, this crumbling bar, yeah, this thing which essentially ends up being this gift that she gives them because it allows them to come back and find family and find connection that they didn't feel that they had. And find themselves, really, because they yeah. were both lost. Like, even mm-hmm. though... Even though at the beginning, because it's very interesting because I feel like, well, you can tell us that because in episode one, you you think you know these women. Oh, yeah. Like you, they, you, they, you meet them and you're like, oh, I know this girl, the party girl, the uh-huh. carefree girl. And I know this one, like the uptight, like, yeah. career oriented. Yeah. But you start getting to know them really like pain yeah and they're like oh i didn't expect that and all of the characters also have that as well because if you look at eddie she's this uh butch lesbian Mm -hmm. and you expect her to be really tough yeah but she's probably the softest out of all of them she's going through it and then you look at la pinche chinche marisol uh, played by chelsea rendon how that you have this idea of what that looks like and also she's they've all present are presenting mm-hmm. themselves to the world in a very specific way but then when you look at Mari she's actually being controlled by so many of the men in her life and mm-hmm. in her life doesn't really have as much power as she has online yeah so there's something really incredible about taking these stereotypes and in the pilot presenting them very strongly in the way down. that they represent themselves mm-hmm. and then just turning that on its head and really digging in and unpacking what makes these people tick hmm. yeah this is a show that is purposefully very queer, mm-hmm. very Latinx. The entire writer's room is brown, from what I understand. Yeah, oh, yeah. The showrunner and creator is a person of color. It is brown top to bottom. The heads of all the creative departments are women of color, and that's also something yeah. that we are so proud of. How different is that of an experience of making a show as compared to other shows that you guys might have done before that weren't that? <laughs> Because you were doing soaps in Mexico, right, Melissa? I'm, I've, I've been working with brown people all my life. <laughs> so, but this was a smooth transition for me. Yeah. And I didn't realize how big of a, of a step it is for the industry. and how American industry. Yeah, for the American industry, yeah. for, for Hollywood, for American television. Now, like I'm on the streets or the other day I was, I was out. And this this woman came up to me and she was like, I just want to thank you for mm. what you're doing. And she got emotional. And yeah. I was like, this is a 
this is really big. This is real. This is much bigger than ourselves. This is much bigger yeah. than a show. It's yeah. a it's a step in representation in television yeah. for a lot of people that have never been able to see themselves yeah. on TV. Yeah, and never seen themselves in such a multifaceted manner. I think yeah. there's a lot of content about Latinos, but That's it is one note, yeah. and it's like immigration or this and that and it's just like very simple and pat and straightforward yeah. and this has layers yeah yeah and you see very a lot of different versions of these characters because even with us diversifying the latinx stories and really seeing these all these women are so different um there's still so many more stories as yeah. well yeah. Yeah. and that's what's incredible but i know for me growing up uh you know my parents were immigrants and but growing up as an American, being born in the United States. Where are your parents it, from? Uh, well, I have a big mix, <laughs> but uh, Dominican, Puerto Rican, Mexican. It's gotcha. kind of all over. And, and you're then, from Miami, right? I'm from Miami, from Hialeah. Cool, cool. Which is a neighborhood that is very much uh, a Latinx yeah. neighborhood. Yeah. And then leaving L.A., realizing also that there are what we were saying, communities all over that kind of have these little pockets that yeah. are... Uh, founded by this uh, Latin American communities Mm -hmm. where these people Mm -hmm. don't completely feel American and don't completely feel from the countries that they're from, whether it's Mexico or Dominican Republic or Colombia or whatever. Um, And we realize that that is very common. You know, you have the San Gabriel Valley or Mm -hmm. um, just all over. Mm -hmm. And that's what's exciting as well as getting to show this story because going back to the specifics of the different women and mm-hmm. how how many nuances there are within the community. Yes. And not only like not only in the emotional sense and in the in their history and in their yeah. stories, but physically. We come in all shades uh-huh. and in all sizes and uh-huh. it's so important to showcase that too because it's so many times we've run into like I don't know like a, a breakdown and they're asking for the the voluptuous sexy Latina mm-hmm. and I'm like why do I have to be that yeah that it, that is not what we all are yeah and it's and important colors. to represent that yeah 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 there are black Latinos and yeah. white Latinos oh, yeah. and that is a reality yeah. yeah it's all there you know part of the show a big part of the show is the tension within this community over gentrification. Mm-hmm. And you use a specific word for it. You call it gentrification. Yeah. Yeah. Melissa, define what that is and what that struggle is in the show. Well, gentrification is the idea of it doesn't have to be an other to be a displacer. Hmm. So people within the same community yeah. are... Displacing, displacing their, their own people. So it's Latinos displacing Latinos, other Latinos. Yeah. And that's gentrification. And that's yeah. gentrification and that's gentification yeah. by your own gente, your mm. own people. Yeah, yeah. And you see that with Nelson. Mm-hmm. Nelson is the, you know, the villain. He's shady. Yeah, he's shady. Oh, he's Nelson's shady. trying to buy the bar. He's trying to buy the bar and he has single-handedly Hentified. transformed, gentified yeah. blocks of East L.A. And yeah. it also brings up a really important thing, which is predatory loans. Yeah. Because this is something that it's not like, oh, we want to sell our building, so let's make the money. You know, the building's worth more, so now we get this money and we get to go on vacation. Mm-hmm. No, less than 20% of the people in these neighborhoods own their houses. Yeah. And... W- 
they are being completely displaced. Yeah. And LA has gotten so expensive that I don't know how anybody affords to live here <laughs> yeah. now, you know? Yeah. So, um, but yeah, and then through this extra shady way of predatory loans, giving loans to people that are never going to be able to pay them back. And, and then owe more than what the home is worth. Exactly. Or the bar is worth. And I love that that gets brought up because yeah. that's a very real yeah. thing. Yeah. And it takes advantage and preys on people that yeah. don't know any better. And it's like giving them help. Yeah. But it's, it's not. so horrible. <laughs> yeah. And that is a very real thing that developers yeah. are yeah. doing. I really appreciated how you guys approach this topic because so often when you discuss gentrification in the media, it is very binary. White people coming in, brown and black folks being pushed out, they're mad, the white folks win. And it's like, no, the story is much more layered than that. And that's what's really great, I think, about having an all Latinx writer's, yeah. writer's room because we get to turn the eye on ourselves. Yeah. One of my favorite scenes is um, the La Chinita sign. Yeah. Because that's something that is very specific, that we can kind of call each other out yeah. on things. Tell folks what that means. The bar that our mother owned is called La Chinita. And the kind of funny but only because it's true and it's actually not really that funny is that it's called La Chinita which is little Chinese girl but there's a geisha imagery on there and it really and no one Chinese is at that bar <laughs> no one Chinese is at that bar <laughs> no and it was actually a Japanese man that owned <laughs> that the bar owned it. Yeah. and they were like we we did it to honor him uh, not quite <laughs> and and it's it's a really common thing because I know I've had that conversation with my family and I've come from that that idea as well not growing up around a lot of Asian people yeah. so everybody's Chinos everybody's a Chinese person uh -huh. and that kind of Emma leaving the neighborhood uh, really is able to be exposed to a lot more uh, diversity and decides that that's ridiculous that's and that's not okay and it's yeah. kind of racist and there's something really amazing about us being able to call each other out on that and have that conversation yes. and then the response is like, well, it's always been that way. And it's like, but then you what about the Confederate it. flag? Yeah. Like things like that. You know, it's like we end up with that same mindset and yeah. we have to call each other out on that stuff so that we within the community can change. Yeah. All right. Time for a quick break. Up next, the stars of the stars show Vita, Melissa Bedetta and Michelle Prada. They talk about their romantic relationships on the show and some sexual stuff. So this is the part about sex that I warned you about earlier. If you're listening with kids, might want to skip ahead for the next 10 minutes or so. All right, BRB. A quick shout out to Casper, a sleep brand that offers obsessively engineered mattresses. An in-house team of engineers developed Casper's supportive memory foam so their mattresses have just the right sink and bounce. Try Casper for 100 nights risk-free in your own home. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Get $50 towards select mattresses by visiting casper.com slash minute and use promo code MINUTE. Terms and conditions apply. There's a new way to hear Morning Edition, All Things Considered, and all your favorite programs. Just ask your smart device to play NPR. Listen to your local station anytime, like this. Hey, smart device, play NPR. You know, watching the show, it made me kind of shine a lens on myself because mm -hmm. I'm like, all right, I'm a person of color. But, yeah, I'm also gentrifying, too. Then I thought back to where I've lived before in D.C. and Boston here now. 
I've gentrified everywhere I've gone. Yeah. <laughs> like, does this show make you guys look at where you fit into how some urban neighborhoods are changing? It's a yeah. very delicate um, subject. Honestly, we've been asked this in interviews, and I and I know that we are shedding light on it. We're, mm-hmm. we're showcasing it because mm-hmm. it's real, it's yeah. happening, and we need to be aware yeah. of what is happening. But I don't know that it can be stopped. Yeah. It it is sad that this is happening and that people are being displaced. But also it is happening because there's a demand, because people are coming in, because jobs are being created. Yeah. And, and since the beginning of neighborhoods, neighborhoods have turned. Yeah. People have moved in well, and out. And I think I love that we're having this conversation because I think that the show creates the conversation and each person has a very distinct point of view. Yeah. And it doesn't answer it mm. because there are people in the neighborhood that if you do own your house, maybe you are benefiting from it. Or maybe, you know, Emma brings up with the Birria restaurant, maybe that restaurant could use the money. And maybe that person there that's vlogging about it is going to make it make them have more money. So maybe that's not a bad thing. Yeah, We should break down that scene, which is hilarious. Yeah. So there's this like, taco restaurant that has really good goat tacos. Yeah. It's goat tacos, right? Yeah. Birria, birria, birria is like a stew, Like right? a goat yeah, stew. stew. Yeah, goat yeah, stew. Yeah, yeah. I want to say it right. I'm so bad with... Birria. 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 Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. So there is this white vlogger with the camera guy outside of that restaurant saying... Birria is a total steal at $4 a bowl or a buck fifty per taco. And then Madi, the activist who is against all this kind of stuff, she's like, Becky. She's like, white girl, get out of my neighborhood. I see you trying to Columbus or but Bilia don't need discovering our right because Bilia's been here. We're just here for food. Oh, what do you think they're shooting? Seriously, it's all good. Oh, seriously, I believe she called her a war Barbie Parker B. To be exact. Better get to step in. Chill out. Come on. Oh, is she about to jump no, them? No, come on. This is Go, Besides, it's two against one. It's fine. What did you pinches, gringas? Keep it moving. <laughs> and then your character comes in and says, Why are you being such a bully? Who are you calling a bully? I'm out here defending my neighborhood, all right? Have you even considered that maybe this birria restaurant could use the business? When was the last time you went in there and bought a plate of birria? Like, this is the eternal struggle, I think, when you see neighborhoods transition. Like, in black neighborhoods that are going through changes. Sometimes I ask myself, well, do you want that neighborhood to stay depressed, to not have a good grocery store, to not have parks, to not be safe at night? Like, in some ways, change for these neighborhoods might be good. Yeah. But maybe there's a way to do it consciously where you're able to maybe teach that the woman selling tamales on the side of the street. Hey, you know what? Here's uh, something in place to teach you business so that you're able to then have two tamale carts and then you have a truck and then you have a business and empowering each other and and I love with that scene specifically because you're telling a story without really preaching you're telling it through their experiences and through their very strong point of views and saying we don't have an answer and neither of them is really wrong because Mari is watching every single Perez and Hernandez and you know all of these people getting pushed out Mm -hmm. and seeing the families that she grew up with Mm -hmm. all of a sudden ending up somewhere else so that these neighborhoods are being dismantled. And then the fetishizing of the neighborhood um, where we aren't really caring and understanding where it's from. We're like, oh, I like mezcal and I like, 
you know, piñatas or uh-huh. whatever. Oh, yeah. And, and really not understanding the community yeah. and understanding where that's coming from. It's just kind of taking it and being like, it's cool because yeah. it's like yeah. the hood it's or whatever. And yeah, And like taking the fun part of it and yeah. not taking the people. But that's the know? beauty of like everyone having their own opinion about things mm-hmm. and their own moral code and right and wrong because for Mari this is the worst thing that could ever happen to the neighborhood yeah. like people being displaced and, and like new shops opening and like yeah. new restaurants and everything coming in and like taking away the essence to mm-hmm. say it that way but for other people it might be like oh well like thank god we now have like a new place to go and like exactly. now mm-hmm. we're, like there's coffee. more jobs coming yeah, yeah you know <laughs> so it's it's a matter of perspective the show creator, Tanya Siraggio, she has talked about the show using what she calls the brown gaze, as in, like, you see this character, these characters, the whole show, you see it through the lens of brown people, through mm-hmm. the lens of queer people. And I noticed that the most in the scenes with white characters. Yeah. Because they are treated stereotypically in the way that brown people are usually treated in white people's shows. Yeah. yeah. The white characters are really kind of one note. And yeah. there's this one scene the sex scene that your character has with her soon-to-be ex-boyfriend, yeah. Yeah. where the way that he is seen and the way that you are seen, he is a nude, naked piece of meat. He is what a woman would usually be in a sex scene. Yeah. And you guys flip it on its head. Yeah. Um, how much of that is actively, like, thoughtful? And oh, like, I mean, <laughs> all of it. All of it. Oh, yeah. Tanya wanted to flip kind of Hollywood on its head. Yeah, because yeah, like usually the women are the ones that are there for the boobs. Yeah. And it's the woman. Yeah. And they're usually the one that is not empowered in the mm-hmm. scene. And they're the object. Yeah. And in this case, you see Juniper being his vapid self yeah. and usually and he's vaping. such a loser <laughs> yeah <laughs> and vaping a little bit of an airhead mm-hmm. he's a piece of meat he's a piece of meat and he's completely naked in mm-hmm. the scene and it's and it's great to have like the men get naked in a show <laughs> well the women get naked too yeah. but but you but know but that seems typically like the, yeah. the but power also, was reversed yeah, yeah i mean and he's essentially breaking up with her after she's performed all these sexual acts on him and that could be a very uh, dehumanizing position Mm -hmm. but yet Lynn gets the last word and she she really you know still has agency over her body and sits in her power and you start really seeing that and that's what's really exciting because it's not just her like you know you see her with her full power over Johnny yeah and we should point out Johnny is Lynn's childhood sweetheart on the show but then you see her with her relationship with Juniper and He's kind of has the credit cards and has the stuff, but yet she still has has what's inside of her. And you can see where there's that ability for her to grow. Yeah. So, Michelle, uh, speaking of power and agency, there is another sex scene where your character, uh, one, reveals she is queer and is in this really, really interesting sexual moment, uh, exhibiting this female power with another character who is gender non-binary. And there's so much going on at once. I found it all to be really groundbreaking. Break down that scene. Well, first of all, shout out to uh, the other actress, Michelle, who isn't even an actress. She's a writer on One Day at a Time. And just really showed up and really went there. And I think we had both discussed how important a scene like that was because we don't really get to see 
two brown women Mm -hmm. and two brown queer women experiencing sex in that way. And also it being shot from the female gaze. You're not, you know lingering on the boobs as they yeah. jiggle in the <laughs> in the night or whatever um it really is there's it's so tied up because you also it's 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 so much about character development mm-hmm. and you see Emma a certain way and then all of a sudden you're like oh oh, oh, oh okay it's that kind of part all right yeah. she's got that going on but you see how she also just kind of uses what she needs and she's trying to have release mm-hmm. she's trying to go back to the things that have made her feel better mm-hmm. before because she's experiencing these feelings that she doesn't want to experience yeah. um and it's not working yeah we have felt it really important to be able to just show a sex scene like this and i had never done anything like that before was it hard so, to do it was challenging we as actors and as women felt very supported and to be able to be on a full set of just so many people that were supportive so many women so mm-hmm. many people of color mm-hmm. uh, it really changes things because you also understand that what you're doing with these scenes isn't about kind of using your body just to you know cheapen yourself or mm-hmm. this idea of shame or like well no one's going to take you seriously as an actress mm-hmm. if you show your body or do these scenes right away and mm-hmm. i think we're really showing that no these scenes can really have a lot to do with character development yeah. it all fits in in the bigger scheme of the story yeah yeah you know i am from south texas and i went into this show saying all right I'll get this, you know. <laughs> I I know some Spanglish. Um, and then when I started watching the show, I realized a lot of the particular language in Spanish and slang being used is specific to L.A. Oh, yeah. To oh, East yeah. L.A. Oh, yeah. How did you figure out how to get into the mindset of L.A. Spanglish and L.A. Latino-ness? You know what? It's interesting that you bring that up because I grew up in Monterrey, yeah. which is two and a half hours from the border with Texas. Okay. So I spent a lot of my long weekends in Texas. Where in know? Texas? I'm from San Antonio. South Padre Island. Okay, yeah. yeah. So I, my grandma had an apartment in South Padre, and so we would go every long weekend yeah. to McAllen shopping to Bronzeville, uh-huh. you know? And so I and I went to school in an American school in which Monterrey. School? American school. Uh-huh. Okay. It's called the American School Foundation Monterrey. Yeah. Shout out to my mom out there. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Uh, so I considered myself a pocha all my life because you go to school and you speak English mm-hmm. for eight hours yeah. a day. Yeah. And then you go home and you speak Spanish. So you, your cables cross a little bit <laughs> and you start like, you know, ha- saying like half. Yeah, you're code switching. You're saying you forget a word in Spanish. So you say it in English and like vice versa. Yeah. And so I considered myself a pocha, but it's t- completely mm. different to what pocho Spanglish is in L.A. Yeah. So when I when I first started like reading the script, I was like, this is wrong. <laughs> this is not how it is. Because you think like what, that your experience, you, th- you know, like just what, when the words come in yeah. in Spanish mm-hmm. is not when I would 
use, you from know, where you're from. from where I'm yeah. from. It's just a, a different, it's just like a different sing-songy, you yeah. know? And, and I, and you think sometimes that your experience is the correct one. It's just one experience. Yeah. And it's just one. And I realize that it is very specific yes. to Los Angeles. So I know I, I, cause I had even spoken to some people that they're like, no, when we speak Spanglish, it's one sentence Spanish, one sentence English, <laughs> all that stuff. And I'm like, I didn't grow up like that at all. Yeah. We switch back and forth or even uh, our ums, our pero, or, you know, you yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. use those as well. And I know I I definitely experienced that back and forth. And my thing, which is another version of pocha, which is you grow up as a Latina American. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, I speak. I speak Spanish. I speak Spanish fluently. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, no, I speak Spanglish. <laughs> because then when it comes to that pressure of having to speak Spanish and not being able to switch. To go back and forth. I get really nervous. Really? Yeah. It, I'm like, I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to mess it up. <laughs> you know, and yeah. I'm learning to kind of just embrace that and be like, you know what? I am Latin American and yeah. I can speak Spanish, but I am going to have to switch a few words here and there exactly. every yeah. once in a while. And, and for for yeah. me with Lynn, it's it's interesting because when <laughs> yeah. I got, I know. Because Lynn's character doesn't Lynn's, even speak Spanish. I know, right? <laughs> So I, when I first came to L.A., I would, you know, like talking to sometimes Uber drivers or the people that I would meet on the street and they would be like, oh, yes, I'm like third generation Mexican-American or second generation Mexican-American. And I would like try to talk to them in Spanish and they're like, oh, no, but I don't speak Spanish. Mm. I would be like, oh, like, <laughs> like what? How dare you? Like, how? Like, what? Yeah. Like, yeah. I would like judge them a little bit. Oh, yeah. And now here I am playing a character that is second That's generation Mexican-American Spanish. that does not know how to speak Spanish. And I realized that it's a reality, that mm-hmm. the language is being lost. Yeah. But I also now appreciate that it's because their parents or whoever crossed the border and came here wanted their kids to fit in and mm-hmm. to assimilate as much possible mm-hmm. so that they would never be faced with yeah. being an outsider. Yeah. And the easiest way to do that is to learn the language perfectly. As someone from South Texas who took Spanish in middle school and high school and college and was just bad at it, <laughs> I realized watching the show, I got to learn Spanish. I'm missing out on so much. Yeah. That was one of the reasons also that Danya wanted to really fought for no subtitles. Yes, which um, I appreciate. Which I've heard a few people be like, well, there really needs to be subtitles. No. Come on. And it's like, no, this is a brown gay show and this is for our people to be able to see themselves yeah. and not feel that we're dumbing it down yeah. for anybody else. Also, the viewers can read context clues. Yeah. They can see, like, it's, I can make yes, sense of yeah. it just by watching the scene. And that yeah. also is part of it as well, because think about it, when you are in a family, if you were invited to yeah. the houses of, you know, my family, or I'm sure yeah. your family. There'd you be no would, subtitles. There would be no <laughs> subtitles, and you would have to kind of get the clues of like, oh, she's mad, or uh-huh. like, oh, yeah, no, I'll have another exactly. glass of wine or whatever. Yeah. And a lot of what, what is spoken in Spanish is kind of like repeated in other words in English so that you don't miss out on anything. But if you do speak Spanish, you're kind of like on the inside. You kind of get like some <laughs> of the inside jokes. jokes yeah. Here, like, yeah. Which yeah. Is cool. and, it's, and it's fun. Yeah. But I also, and also like, if you really want subtitles, you can get subtitles. You can get them. You know? Yes, exactly. So. What was the most LA, East LA specific Spanglish word that you guys used in the show that was not going to be heard in Miami or in Mexico. Rascuache. Rascuache. Yeah. Which chuntara. means? Rascuache or chuntara. Rascuache is like ratchet. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah. Mm. <laughs> But like where I'm from, you just say naco. 
Which means oh, also ratchet? Yeah. Okay. It ratchet. We just say knuckle. <laughs> so you just kind of look at someone, give them side eyes, and say it. it. There and, you and go. That, and it sounds exactly what it means. You know, like, yeah, exactly. What's the other one? Um, Chuntara. Chuntara. What does that mean? Chuntara is kind of like, it's also like calling someone ratchet and like kind of chola at the same time. Yeah, kind of right? like no, uh, no class. Chola. Yeah. No class. Okay. Yeah. Kind of like chuntara. classless. It's yeah. like, come on. Chuntara. Chuntara. Yeah. All right, just one more break. After that break, Melissa and Michelle tell me all about how they got their big breaks on Vita. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Discover Card. You check your email or social media all the time, but Discover asks, what about checking something as important as your credit score? Well, Discover makes it quick and easy with their credit scorecard, which is free for everyone, even if you're not a customer. See your FICO credit score and other important credit information. And once you know your score, you should check to see if your current credit card is the best fit for you. Learn more at discover.com slash credit scorecard. Limitations apply. This is Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We do long-form interviews with the people behind the best books, pop culture, journalism, and more, so you can get to know the people whose work you love. You'll find Fresh Air on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. I want to talk about both of y'all's background Mm. and where you came from and how you got here. Michelle, you're from Miami. Melissa, you are from Mexico. Michelle, go first. What's your story? So... I was born in the United States, and my mom is an immigrant, but also, and is now a citizen, mm-hmm. but it took her a while to be able to get to that point. Yeah. Uh, so I, we grew up in Hialeah, and we grew Describe up- Describe the neighborhood for those who don't know about it. So Hialeah is, man, I love that I spent so much of my childhood, we really didn't travel very much, uh-huh. thinking that the rest of the United States was like Miami, like Hialeah, <laughs> um, which is, there's just this huge mix uh-huh. of all different cultures, especially Latin American cultures. Okay. Obviously, there's a strong Cuban population, but there's Costa Ricans and Nicaraguans and Colombians and all of that kind of mix mm-hmm. is there. So much so that there are signs on some of the stores that say, we speak English, <laughs> and English is spelled I-N-G-L-E-S. I love it. Inglés. <laughs> yes. And, you know, and really, if you don't speak Spanish, uh-huh. it's it's not going to work okay, out for you. Slice like, out. <laughs> you're just going to point and yeah. hopefully get something delicious to eat. Um, so I, I really thought that uh, so much of the United States was like that. Yeah. And, um, so when did you that, leave? I left, gosh, I, I was a chicken when I came. I went on vacation and didn't really uh, leave. So I think it's hard for me because I don't know when I officially moved here really? because I was going back and forth. Between and L.A. and Miami? L.A., Miami, and then I'd go to New York. I was like Lynn, you know? Yeah. I lived on a tour bus for a little while with, uh, with a band. Touring with who? Which band? Uh, Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zero. I love them. My boyfriend's in that band. So, wow. So, yeah, so it's kind of oh fun. We always joke about how we... Melly is a lot more like Emma. She really has like uh-huh. very, you know, this is how it goes and this is, you know, yeah. life. And and then six years ago now was kind of like that moment of like, I want to do this. You I'm going to be an actor. Okay. I'm going to live in L.A. Like yeah. this is how this my life is going to go and I'm going to really give it a shot. Yeah. And um, and then now we're here. You know, I've talked to a lot of actors on the show and they talk about that moment when they say I'm going to L.A. to make it. It is always so much harder than they think it's going to be. 
How hard was it for you? The first year of my life was probably one of the worst years of my life. I was so lonely. Yeah. Um, LA is a lonely place if you don't know anybody. Yeah, and the worst part was that I would go to all the parties that you're supposed to go to Uh and felt crushingly lonely. Mm. I'd leave, I'd drive home and think, why do I feel so bad about myself? Mm. It wasn't actually until I started going east and started driving around and followed my nose and found this taco shop and started talking to people. And I was like, wow, this feels like home. Yeah. And still, sometimes I'm like, am I a hintafire? And, you know, (laughs) so I'm always trying to make sure that I am supporting the local taqueria Mm -hmm. and going and getting the pan dulces. And Mm -hmm. as you were saying, that that conversation of gentrifying. Am I part of the problem? And and, but still, I think that's how I know that that's where I feel the most at home. And I don't want to not live on that part of town. But also consciously being like, I want to make sure I'm supporting the businesses that are already there. Melissa, tell me your story. From Mexico, we're a star in your own right over there before this, right? Walk me through it all. Well, I was born in Monterrey, Mm -hmm. Mexico. Um, It's a very, very, very conservative city. Yeah. And I am the oldest of four sisters, which uh, I always felt like I was guiding your younger sisters and not having them make the same mistakes that you did. So I always thought of myself kind of like like a second mom. Hmm. Um, And I started doing theater in middle school and high school, and I fell in love. I was like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. Like being on stage, getting to sing and dance and act. So you sing? I sing, yeah. Okay. And... um, I was like, this is this is definitely what I want to do. So yeah. I applied for I applied to colleges mm-hmm. in New York. I auditioned, and I knew that I wanted to be in New York because okay. you know that's the that's the epicenter of theater, and yeah. that's where I thought like I was gonna go to school, graduate, get on Broadway, and live my life forever. That was my plan. Okay. Uh, so I got into NYU into the musical the musical theater school which in Tisch, the- which was Cap Twenty One at the time. Yeah. Now it's the new studio on Broadway. Gotcha. And I enjoyed it so much. I was there for two years only. Okay. You left? Cause I, I left because I got on a reality show. What reality show? It's a reality show in Mexico that's kind of like Big Brother meets American Idol. Yeah. Um, I got voted off. Okay. And They're the next lost. day. Yeah. But no, but the thing is that the next day they, they called me in for a soap that they were starting in that same network. How long were you doing that? I did soaps for four years. Nice. I I feel very grateful to have gone through my telenovela years because it's also acting boot camp. Oh yeah. You have you do like thirty to forty scenes a day. Yeah. Which is like no one does that. Yeah. And crying to yelling to being happy to laughing to crying again and then crying some more and, and slapping you, someone in the face. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of slapping. Crying in Spanish. A lot of fighting. I did a, <laughs> some of the, like the most epic scenes that I did are like fights. Yeah. And so I like working in Mexico for a while and making a name for myself there in whatever capacity it was like I'm not like I'm not like super famous there but I I worked for yeah. a while and yeah. so that helped me get a working visa here to gotcha. be able to come here and mm-hmm. and you've and been here how long? I've been here for a year. Oh wow. Yeah. I I moved out here uh, mid-May of last year. Okay. And was that after or before you got this role? Uh it was two weeks before I auditioned for Vida. Oh. I Yeah, I think Vida was the second or third audition that I did. So you were pretty lucky, I huh? was very lucky. <laughs> I know that I am very lucky. And I always thought, yeah. you know, that Latinas and uh, the Latinx community, but Latina women mm-hmm. 
there's so few of us that are are representing the whole community mm-hmm. in at a like in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and sometimes these few women that are very talented, yeah. But they get all the roles. There's like yeah. no, yeah. there's no opportunity well, for, a while, for new it was faces. Like Eva Longoria was everything. Yeah. yeah, and she was everywhere, and it was just her. We've heard casting directors say like, "Oh, like I have to cast uh, a Latina or a Latino," and like, "There's no one." I'm like, just I look. Everywhere. There are yeah. so many. Have you been of us. to LA? Yeah, there are so many yeah. of us working and, hard. Yeah. yeah, and it's just you know, when I when I read the breakdown for for Vida. And I saw the characters and the description of the characters, like from the get-go, wasn't stereotypical. Mm-hmm. And it was like Mexican-American. And I was like, you know, I can I can do that. Um, I'm so just thankful to be yeah. able to be here and to be a part of this movement of these like few Latinx shows that are on the air right now. But mm-hmm. hopefully they will multiply. And if we do well and if we have the support of of the viewers and of the Latinx community yeah. uh, watching, that just means that the networks are going to be like, oh, like people are watching this. these show. Let's do more uh-huh. and let's create. Let's give these people more jobs and let's give writers more jobs and directors more jobs and actors more jobs. Yeah. And also like trust that audiences can consume this content. Yeah. And they don't need to have their hands held the whole time. Yeah. And that they want it because yes. us, us telling our story in this very specific way mm-hmm. doesn't take away from anything that was already there. Mm-hmm. If anything, it just adds. It makes exactly. things more vibrant. It allows us to watch on TV what we see in life. Yeah. And it's not, there's nothing wrong with, you know, Seinfeld's a great show. You know, Friends is funny <laughs> to watch. But um, there's room for everyone. But there's room for everybody. Especially yes. with all the new platforms coming out. Like oh, now yeah. YouTube is making it's, shows. Yeah. Facebook is making oh, yeah. shows. Like there's, there's room. There's so much out there. There's room for everyone. And there's room to give everyone representation on yeah. on TV or on any platform. Yeah. And white people can watch black and brown stuff, and black and brown oh, yeah. folks can watch white stuff. Like it's not like, and we learn about each other. Yes. And we stop being scared of yes. like what's behind the curtain, or we're like, what are they doing in exactly. their houses? It's like same thing you're probably doing in your house. It's just you know instead <laughs> yeah. of like you know it's a flan instead of like a cheesecake or something. I don't know. You know, it's like it's fine. I love the name of the show because it has two meanings. So Vida is short for the mother's name, Vidalia. Yeah. But Vida also means life in Spanish, Yeah. which I love a lot. Like thinking about how this show kind of goes full circle, like the death of your mother and then various life and deaths of relationships, et cetera. Like what is the biggest life lesson in this show that you want viewers to take from the show? I would really love for us as a Latinx community to really move away from this idea of binary sexuality Hmm. and for us to feel that we need to really label everything Mm -hmm. because there is a space where for you, if you want to create a la- or you know label yourself and be part of a community that's wonderful yeah and but maybe there's a space where you don't want to and that this idea of essentially telling your family and your community that you've fallen in love yeah is a traumatizing experience uh-huh. you know where we have that scene where I kind of come out to Lynn yeah you know she's like well if Vidalia can be out then (laughs) well here we go (laughs) yeah and it ends up being kind of one of the more tender like kind of adorable moments for them and i think emma is kind of ready to be like 
I don't care. You don't can't judge me. Da, da. Yeah. And Lynn's just like, well, I want you to know your sister supports you. And it's kind of more of like, a, oh, uh-huh. so that's who you're with. Yeah. And letting that not be such a traumatizing experience. Love is where you find it. And that would, I would really, really, really love it if people uh, would watch the show and and find solace in that and to yeah. really see what the effects are and to see how we can navigate our ourselves and not push it onto other people. Yeah. Your own insecurities, yeah. your own shame, your and own how, whatever. How important it is because as kids, whether it's our parents or an adult that we admire, we're always looking for their approval and their love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's just the way that it is. Yeah. So it's so important that parents show their kids support because the way that Vidalia was with each of the sisters is what made them the way that they are. Mm-hmm. And there, our parents just can dictate Mm-hmm. Our happiness, yeah, and the way that we feel about ourselves and our yeah. insecurities, and everything comes from the adults in our lives. Exactly. So it's so important for parents to see this and realize how important their love and support is for their children. Totally. And I think also on that note as well, that us as adults realizing that our parents are human too, and they're dealing with all their stuff. Because mm-hmm. I know I've. I've spent a lot of time holding on to like, well, you didn't do this the way yeah. that you were. And I'm still suffering because of it. And realizing that, you know, it's like, you know what? They were human. Yeah. That is my past. Like now how do, let me, let me reconcile with my present. And I think you see both sisters showing up, mm-hmm. not completely re- ready to reconcile with yeah. their past, but then being forced to by dealing with this and essentially finding the family that they really left behind totally totally um you guys are wonderful this was so delightful teach me yeah. ratchet again what was the word for ratchet oh rascuache 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 it feels good it too to call somebody you're like oh, rascuache so rascuache i love it but that's none of my business <laughs> <laughs> Thanks to my two guests, actresses Melissa Barrera and Michelle Prada. Their show is called Vita. You can catch the whole season now on Stars. FYI, um, I know some listeners might not know what the word ratchet means. I usually don't like to explain the slang for folks, but I will tell you. Ratchet is a play on the word wretched. The kids and such use it these days, uh, but it can also sometimes have a positive connotation. I love to use the word, and now I'm going to use it in Spanish and in English. As always, don't forget to send me audio of you sharing the best thing that happened to you all week at any point throughout any week. Just record yourself. Send the file to samsanders at npr.org. samsanders at npr.org. We are back on Friday with our weekly wrap. Until then, I am Sam Sanders. Just ratchet enough. Talk soon. Talk soon.